starting a new series, three-week series that we're calling Biblical Generosity, Biblical Generosity. And I'm going to read our primary text that we're going to go through today, and then we're going to pray. It's going to be 2 Corinthians chapter 8, starting in verse 1. Paul says this to the church in Corinth, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, that he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Got to thank you for um, just this time of worship we just had, that we are setting our eyes and setting our hearts and, and recalibrating our, our minds and hearts on you after a week of, of, of life. And um, I thank you for that time. And I thank you um, as we move into um, the time where we're studying your word. I thank you that you've spoken in your word, that these are your words. These are inspired by you. And so when we read it and when we um, try to understand it and, and let it change us, we know we're hearing from you your very words, and we're thankful for that. So I pray as we look at your words this morning that we would be changed, that we would um, put ourselves under your word, and I pray that your spirit would help us understand it, change our hearts, and change the way we live when we leave this place. It's in your son's name we pray, amen. This past May, um, a, a, a billionaire philanthropist by the name of Robert F. Smith um, during his commencement speech to Morehouse College um, told them that he was going to um, take care of, pay off the debt, the college debt of all the graduating seniors in that class. Mind-blowing donation that he did. It was $40 million, uh, some um, people that, that were trying to do the math on how much the tuition costs of these students. $40 million for a billionaire to give. Um, and that got me thinking, where does generosity come from? Like when we say, I want to be a generous person, or, or how can someone be that generous? Where does that come from? What, where, where do we get that thing that causes us to be more generous? Because I think if I just ask all of you in this room, I'm guessing the majority of you would say, I want to be more generous, or I value um, being a generous person. That's a value that I want in my life. So I think it's important to ask the question, how do we do that, or how does that come about? And today, we're starting um, this three-week series on biblical generosity, and, and today we're going to look at, in the scriptures, um, what, is it, what does it mean to be generous? 
Like if, if the Bible was just to lay out what does what uh, generosity mean, how is it defined, that's what we're going to look at today. And next week, we're going to look at the things that actually prevent us or keep us from being generous. And then in week three, we're going to be revisiting our missional move campaign um, that we had in 2017. The past two years, um, we've asked our, our members and our, our consistent attenders to make pledges to help pay off um, this building that you've, you're sitting in now, to help the remodel and the renovation for that. Um, and you've been so generous and so gracious. The, the total cost on that was $550,000. We've paid down 300000 of that. And because of that, the bank is so pleased with us that they're extending our line of credit um, one more year into 2020. So um, the leadership, as, long as, the, as well as the finance team, have, have decided that we want to push those pledges um, one more year into 2020. So there's going to be a time in three weeks for us to come back to the missional move, pray about uh, potentially um, pledging again for 2020. So I want to call your attention briefly. There's, there's um, pledge cards under every other seat. You don't have to grab them now. Um, you don't have to even take them home today. But if you want to go home and start thinking about it, they're there for you to do that. So that's what we're going to do in week three. But for today, I want to set that aside because that's really not what this series is about. Um, we have to start with the foundation of what does it mean to be biblically generous? Because that's more important than anything you could give to at Providence Road, right? What does it mean to have a generous heart? So I want to say if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, or you're far from God, or you're a guest with us, we're not asking you for your money today. We're not. I just want to say that straight up. We're not asking you for your money. But I hope you'll follow us because I think it's important to really hear from the scriptures what the Bible thinks and what God thinks about generosity. This money affects all of us. It affects all of us. Every day, more than likely, you have a, a run-in with money, right? Like you give your debit card to someone. You check your bank statement. You pay a bill. You pull out cash to pay for something. You buy a coffee. All of those things, money affects all of us. It affects our economy. It affects big political decisions that massive groups of people disagree on how funds are going to be spent. Um, it affects um, luxury tax and, and payroll for NBA teams. It forces teams to trade away their two best players. I, I, don't, I don't know anything about that, but hypothetically, like, it, it affects that as well, right? Um, I, I came across a, a, a study this week um, that, that was measuring what, what makes people happy. Like what causes people to value their life and flourish? And one of the key measures is generosity. Just almost in every kind of measure, measurement, the more generous a person is, a human being is, the higher they score in these um, kind of flourishing scales, these flourishing measurements, this, these happiness things that um, studies put out. Jesus relentlessly talks about uh, finances in the Gospels. More than any other topic other than himself, he talks about money. And when God actually talks about money in his word, he's not actually after our money. And he's not after our money. He's after our life. He's after our devotion. He's after um, our discipleship and our formation in Jesus. That's what actually God is, is about when he brings up money. So this is why we talk about money as a church. Not because we're after your money primarily, but that we, we're after your discipleship. We want you to love Jesus to a greater degree. We want the, the things of the world to matter less and God to matter more. And that's for all of us. So because the Bible addresses it, we're going to address it as well. So here's the two questions that I want you to think about and ask as we move through this passage this morning. Number one, am I a generous person? 
just all of us in this room, just asking that, am I a generous person? And number two, how do I grow in my generosity? Like really practically, not, not theoretically, but hopefully by the end, we'll give you some handles and some steps to really answer that question. What is the next step for me to grow in my generosity? So let's look at 2 Corinthians um, chapter 8 here. That's the text we're going to be in. We're just going to walk verse by verse through this. So verse 1, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. So right here we get Paul saying this grace of God. We want, to, he's writing to the Corinthian church about the Macedonians. He's saying, I want you to know, Corinthians, about what God's grace is doing in these group of churches. Now, Macedonia was made up of cities like Philippi, Thessalonica. We get New Testament letters written to those places. Um, and what Paul is doing here, Paul is a, a missionary. He's a leader in the early church. He goes around planting churches, starting churches, leading people to Jesus. But one of the big roles he had as a leader in the early church was raising money. Like Paul was a fundraiser. He would go to other churches and raise money for churches that were across the Mediterranean Sea. And that's what he's doing on this occasion. The Jerusalem church is struggling. They're the old, one of the oldest church plants in that region, and um, they're struggling. They, they're, 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 they're hurting. And so Paul is going to these other churches, asking them to consider supporting the church in Jerusalem. So now he's talking to the Corinthians about what God has done in the Macedonians to cause them to be generous. Now let's look at verse 2. For in a severe test of affliction, so them, they're talking about the Macedonians, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. So in the severe test of affliction, that's probably persecution along with some poverty. They've been marginalized from society because they're Christians now wasn't super popular at this time in the Roman Empire to be a Christian. So they've been marginalized. And then he says, he puts these two things together, which I found really interesting looking at this this week, but their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty. So he's connecting those, Paul is, um, which are two things we don't normally connect, right? Abundant joy and extreme poverty. Like in our minds, I think those things are, 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 are antithetical to each other. They're, they're opposite. But he's saying those two things together that was happening caused them to overflow in a wealth of generosity. And in remember verse 1, he says, this is, a, this is because of God's grace. So what Paul is saying here, that there's a lot of stuff going on in the Macedonians, right? But because of God's grace, they're overflowing with generosity. They're overflowing with it, even in the midst of severe affliction. Um, this this kind of gets at the idea of um, when Jesus um, is using this as a teaching moment for his disciples in Luke 21, He's, he's there by the temple. He's watching people give money. And a group of people comes up. And they give a lot of money. And then a, a, a widow comes up and gives two coins. And it seems like, that I'm guessing the disciples are sitting there, probably their eyes are focused on the group of people that are giving a lot, right? They're, it seems like they're giving a lot of money. So the disciples are kind of looking at them. And Jesus is like, no, no, wait, wait, guys. Here's the deal. Like, they're giving out of their abundance, right? They're probably maybe wealthier, more well-off. They're giving a lot. They're giving out of their abundance. And Jesus doesn't say that's bad. But what Jesus says is better is what the widow has done. The widow is taking her two coins and dropped them in. So he's telling his disciples, don't miss this. She gave out of her poverty. She sacrificially gave more so than the other group. So he's lifting her up as an example there in Luke 21. And I think Paul is saying the same thing. That the, 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 the Macedonian church wasn't necessarily a well-off church. Everything wasn't great for them, yet they still 
gave. And a principle here that I think we're going to see throughout this passage that we need to remember is that God cares more about our faithfulness than he does about our total amount of giving or our income. I'll say that again. God cares more about our faithfulness to what he's given us, what he's calling us to give, than how much we make, how much we've given, all of that. Okay, faithfulness is the most important thing. And I think this is what Paul's trying to, to show here. The Macedonian church is a picture of faithfulness. Let's look at verse 3. For they gave according to their means. As I can testify, or he's saying, I, I've, I've seen them, and they gave actually beyond their means, of their own accord. So they didn't just give what they could or what was kind of prudent for them to give. They actually gave above that. They went above what would have been prudent for them to give or wise for them to give, um, you could say. And he says also they gave on their own accord. See, I wasn't manipulating them. I didn't have to throw a guilt trip down on them. I wasn't playing any kind of bait and switch games. They gave something on the inside, which was God's grace. We know that from the context, but something on the inside of them caused them to give. Then in verse 4, he says, begging us. So he's saying the Macedonian church begged us, Paul's saying, earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of saints. So they, they begged them. They pleaded with them to be partners in what Paul was trying to do for the Jerusalem church. And he even says favor here. Like they had an idea that they would be favored um, spiritually with this, this, this deep sense of joy if they were a part of taking care of the church in Jerusalem. So they were begging them earnestly to be a part of this. So it was of their own accord, and they were fervently, they were begging Paul to be a part of this. Then in verse 5, he says, And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves, first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. And so this all starts with God. They weren't necessarily pri primarily worried about giving to the Jerusalem church or, um, or, or giving because Paul told them to. They first loved God. They first were being obedient to God, being faithful to God, and because of that, then they became um, faithful and obedient and gave themselves to this collection that Paul was raising for the Jerusalem church. So he's, again, laying out this principle, God comes first, faithfulness to God comes before giving money to anything else. It's almost that, like Paul's saying that if you squeeze this Macedonian church, they were being squeezed in a sense from their suffering and affliction, that, that what came out of them was generosity. When you cut them, they bled generosity because of the grace and the work that God had done in their life. Now let's look at verse 6. He kind of turns the corner here. He's not talking about the Macedonians anymore. He's kind of talking uh, just to the Corinthians here. He's saying, accordingly, we urged Titus, who was a, um, a right-hand man of Paul, helped uh, in the Corinthian church. He said, we urged Titus that, he had, that, that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. And this act of grace is referring to um, giving. But as you excel in everything, so Paul gives the Corinthian church a comment here. You excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, and in all, in all earnestness, and in our love for you. But you're doing great at these things, church, but see that you also excel in this act of grace. So don't just do these things that you're doing great at, but remember this one. Remember this, this, this way of being generous. And then let's look at verse 8. And, and I say, Paul says, I say this, not as a command. So he's even saying, I'm not commanding you to do this, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. So he's not using this comparison between them and the Macedonian church to create some unhealthy uh, competition or say this is some kind of, you get a prize if you're the most generous church. He's not trying to do that. He's trying to show that the, this the grace, God is moving in the Macedonian church. Like his grace is doing some, some 
crazy things where they're even just begging to be a part of giving to the Jerusalem church. I want that for you too, Paul is saying to the Corinthian church. I want your love to be proven genuine. I want you to experience what it's like to partner in taking care of this other church. So he's not trying to manipulate. He's not trying to do any of that here. He wants their love to be proven genuine. Now, I think Paul would say the same thing to us here, right? He would say the same thing to us, but he doesn't stop here, right? The verse nine, the verse we're about to read is the most important verse, I think, in this passage, okay? Let's listen to verse nine. Notice the motivation now. Paul's kind of laid out what he would like from them, not a command, but what he would like. Verse nine, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. These are folks who are saved. They're in the church. They, they know, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, Paul says, that though he, Jesus, was rich, Yet for your sake, he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might also become rich. Okay? He's basically saying here that Jesus, who was rich, who had everything, who was in heaven, chose to become poor. Born of a virgin, come into this messed up world, become a human being, so that those of us who were, who were poor, spiritually bankrupt, rebels, wicked in our sin, might become rich. He's not talking about finances. He's not talking about becoming rich in wealth and possessions and those kinds of things. He's saying, we who were once spiritually broke and bankrupt and without hope were, brought, were, were made to be rich, wealthy because we have been, we've been forgiven and we've been received by a holy and righteous God. Listen to author Donald McLeod in his book, The Person of Christ, and he says it better than I could, and he's talking about here what Jesus had. Like he's trying to get us to understand the riches that Jesus gave up to come to earth in the incarnation. Listen to this. The fact that the pre-incarnate Christ occupied a position of the highest imaginable eminence. He was, in the words of Frey Cotton's hymn, rich beyond all splendor. He possessed all the majesty of deity performed, all of its functions, and enjoyed all its prerogatives. He was adorned by his father and worshipped by the angels. He was invulnerable to pain, frustration, and embarrassment. He existed in unclouded serenity. His supremacy was total, his satisfaction complete, his blessedness perfect. Such a condition was not something he had secured by effort. It was the way things were and had always been. And there was no reason why they should change. But change they did when he was born of a woman, came to earth to die on behalf of sinful human beings, okay? So the, the gospel makes us generous from the inside out when we think about what Jesus did on our behalf. Think about 2 Corinthians 5, 21 here. This is Paul again a little bit earlier in this letter. He says, for our sake, he, God, made him to be sin who knew no sin, Jesus, so that in him, Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. So Jesus, when he came to earth to die for us, this, this what theologians call the great exchange happened. When he suffered this horrible death, lived a life on this, 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 this broken world compared to where he left, was perfect, did not deserve to be treated how he was treated, but died a horrific death, was buried. Um, what happened there was he took all of our sin upon himself. He got all of our junk, all of our baggage, our, our wickedness, the things that separate us from God, he took all of that upon himself. After leaving what he just left, he took all of that upon himself and then he gave us his righteousness, a perfect, 
perfect record, perfect righteousness that comes from him so that when we stand before a holy God now, we can be forgiven. And God doesn't see how great we are, how awesome we are. He sees how awesome Jesus was. He sees how awesome Jesus' work was. So when he looks at us, he can say, welcome into my family. Come into my kingdom. I call you a son. I call you daughter. I give you uh, the, the keys to the kingdom. I'm going to make you co-heirs with Jesus. That's who we are now in Christ. That's where we're rich. We're rich because we've been reconciled to God. All because of Jesus. All because of Jesus. This is the gospel. This is what causes us to be generous people. We don't become generous by, by coming up with, 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 with ways to give and strategies to give. Those things are important. But the foundation starts with what is happening on our inside. Like, do we believe that? Do we believe that we're hopeless without grace? Do we believe that we're spiritually bankrupt without the work of Jesus? Do we understand what Jesus gave up to save us? That now he becomes poor so that might we become rich and live in eternity forever with God. See, motivation for generosity is really, really important. Let's look at Luke 7 here. This is Jesus giving us, I think, a great illustration of this. Um, and it actually happened. It's not an illustration. This is actually an occurrence from uh, Jesus' ministry. He uses a little parable in here, but I want to read this. And imagine, this is, this is Jesus basically saying, this is what a forgiven sinner looks like. Someone who's been forgiven and now loves Jesus. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. These were religious guys, guys who looked to their works to save them. Verse 37, and behold, a woman of the city, that's code for prostitute, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at a table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. So she comes into the house, like this is crazy what she's doing here. And standing behind him, notice she didn't want to stand in front of him. She stands behind him at his feet, weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, listen, he said to himself, he didn't say it out loud, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. <laughs> I love Jesus here. And Jesus answering him. So now it gets awkward, right? He's like, oh, what, what? Like, he heard that? Yeah, he's God, right? Like, he hears these things. So Jesus answering him said, Simon, I have something to say to you. Okay, here we go. And he said, and the answer, say it, teacher. And this is the, the parable he gives. A certain money lender had two debtors, one who had 500 denarii and the other 50, so 10 times as much. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of them both. Now, which of them will love him more? Easy question. Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus said, you have judged rightly. Then turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? Like, did you look at her? I entered your house, your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. He's showing all these markers of generosity, right, that the woman's now showing him. Therefore, um, you did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. And verse 47, therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, Jesus acknowledges that her sins are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. For he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. 
See, this is a picture of what it looks like to be humbled by our sin to the point where we know we need a savior. Like, there's nothing inside of us that can save us. This woman knew she was, she had, imagine the look she got around the town. Everybody knew who she was. The judgment she got, the look she got, people moving out of the way, she was unclean. She knew she was broken. Do we know we're broken? Do we know we're hopeless without the grace and mercy of God? And you can see her. She's like, I, I've got all I need now. Like, I've been forgiven. I'm a new creation. Have all of it. My expensive ointment that I've had been saving up, break it. It's all yours, Jesus. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to humiliate myself. I'm going to come into this really oppressive environment with these religious guys. And I don't care because you've saved me and you're mine. I'm, 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 all, I'm all yours. I'm open-handed now with my life. And this is how the gospel changes our generosity. Our, we're open-handed now. The things of the earth are not as attractive anymore. We don't have to hold on to our treasure as tightly now. We can be open-handed with it. Because he truly can take anything away from us and we'll be fine. Because we've received the greatest gift that a human being can ever receive. And that's reconciliation with God the Father and being able to be called sons and daughters and have an inheritance waiting for us. This is the gospel. This is how we become softened to being a generous people. Now, I want to shift gears now, because I, I want to now help uh, give us some handles, give us some things that will really help us move forward with our generosity, that we have this foundation of the gospel. Hopefully, we're now like, okay, if, you're, if, you've, if you've been shown grace by God, then we need to be open-handed, right? So let's talk about this. The first, a few questions that, that come up when we talk about this. I want to quickly go over, and we could do whole sermons on these, but one's the tithe. What about the tithe? Okay, um, the tithe is an Old Testament principle. It's not obsolete for us, but the New Testament has redefined the standard for generosity. And really, the, the standard is that we are not owners of anything. Everything that we have, everything, including our, our kids, our spouses, our parents are given to us by God. And now we are stewards of those things for him. However, we believe he wants us to steward those things. We don't own anything. He is still the owner. And so instead of God giving us everything and us asking, well, how much should we give you, God? It's, God, all of it's yours. All of it's yours. And now I'm going to, in prayer and in conversation with you and with community, decide how much I actually need to live on how much I need to keep back for myself and the rest of it's going to you. You see, it's a subtle change in seeing ourselves as stewards rather than owners. And now Jesus is our model, right? Like he gave everything. He was the richest person who ever lived in every way. He was at the right hand of God. He gave up everything to the point of death, was humiliated. He is our model now What in sacrificial giving. What does it look like to be sacrificial in our giving? The, the widow who gave the two coins. She gave until she sacrificed. There was probably some sacrifices she had to make, obviously, when she gave um, those coins. And so the tithe, I think it's best to look at the tithe as the floor of giving. One author said that a tithe is like training wheels to help um, us learn how to give, creating some habits, creating a, a, a nice round number to be able to develop um, the habits of being a gracious giver. Um, but that's the starting point. That's the, that's, the, that's the lowest point here. So I don't think we're necessarily under the law still to tithe, but 
um, we should never use, well, the tithe doesn't really apply anymore as an excuse not to give. I think the tithe is actually the floor for our giving. And that tithe literally means 10%. That's what that is. So if you've heard the tithe before, it's usually referred to as 10%. Now, so it's a, it's a good principle, but I think that's not our primary governing principle anymore as followers of Jesus now in light of his death and resurrection. So here's, here's a progression I hopefully help you um, from less mature to more mature as we handle our giving now. Number one, um, first way, it's, it's all mine. It's all mine, and I may or may not give some to God. Um, maybe that's for a lot of different reasons. Um, ignorance of the biblical teaching. Um, we, we don't know what to think about it, all of those things. So number one, it's all mine, and I'm just going to kind of maybe give some to God, maybe not. Second phase is God gets some, right? I'm going to set some aside for God, usually 10% maybe, um, if, that's the, if that's the tithe. Um, again, not a bad place to start, but this isn't what we're shooting for. This is not the end goal of maturity when it comes to giving. Then you have number three. It is all God's. It's all God's, and the question now is, how much should I keep to live on? This changes that. It's like having a treasure chest, and instead of opening that treasure chest and kind of sticking our hand in there and pulling out a little bit and throwing it to God, we open the whole treasure chest and say, it's all yours. Like, I am not the owner of this. This is your treasure. Now, let's talk about how, I should, how much I need out of this and how much I should give to you. Okay, so that's the tithe. Again, if you have questions about that, we preached a longer sermon on that back in the spring. I can give you resources to understand that more. Please ask me if you need them, but we don't have time today to go any further into the tithe. Another question that I just want to briefly answer is, should I give my money to the local church or should I give it somewhere else? And I'll just say this really quick once again. The mission of a Christ follower, our mission as individuals, as Christ followers, is to glorify God by making disciples. So the first kind of principle in, I think, giving is we want to give to things and places that are accomplishing that mission, that specific mission, glorifying God by making disciples. That's where, that's where we should start in our giving. And we, we believe that the Bible's clear that the, the local church is the primary way that God has cho- chosen to accomplish that mission. doesn't mean there are other good organizations that partner with the church to, to, to fulfill that mission. Um, so when we're thinking about where should I give my money, it should start, we think, with the local church and then move out from there of like-minded organizations. And then a- after that, if you have more you want to give, you can give other places as well. But So I'm kind of giving you a, a concentric ring idea there on how to think about where should my money be given. Again, that's just a principle, though. Um, if you want to talk about that, I can answer more questions and give you uh, verses in the New Testament to kind of uh, show kind of where we get that principle. Um, Here's the deal. I know this isn't always fun to talk about, right? Like a lot of us, or I would say even most of us, I know most of you, and money is not a luxury for us. It's just not. We just don't have money coming out everywhere, all this disposable income, maybe like a billionaire to be able to, to, to knock 40 million off the top, right, and give it to something. Like we, we don't have that kind of money. And I think the harder thing in, in this is more than just our lack of maybe um, wealth is that life is busy. We're distracted. And so actually taking the time to stop and reflect on our generosity is probably the hardest thing. It's to actually sit down, take the time, ask some hard questions of you or you and your spouse, and really talking through, how, how does this look? How are we doing? Um, and, and asking the question, are we being um, uh, sacrificial in our giving? Are we being biblically generous. I know when Nicole and I sit down to talk about this, usually it goes like this. We, we want to we give more. We look at our budget, 
and we can't. We just say, it, it just can't. We just can't make it work. And, and oftentimes the conversation stops there. I want to encourage all of us to press through that, that hill, get over that hill and ask, well, I think we probably have some money to give. It just means we would have to change our budget. That's a bigger conversation, right? A harder conversation. But I want us all to press into that and think about our budgets and consider our budgets, where, where we're giving and are we giving sacrificially? Um, I know that sometimes it's like, well, we can't give. Actually, the answer, I know Nicole and I wrestle with this, we just can't give without actually sacrificing something. Okay, now, now the Holy Spirit's going to start doing something, right? He's going to start opening our hands a little bit of things that we think we really need to hold on to, and maybe he wants to give. So here are, here are two questions, I think, as we, we leave and start to process this. Number one, where am I currently at now as it relates to generosity? How am I doing? You may have to look back at the last two or three months of expenses, like, how's that budgeting thing going? Do I know where my money's going? Because if you don't know where your money's going, right, it's kind of hard to say, okay, God, um, how much do you want me to keep? How much can I give? So you first have to start, I think, there. Second question, what's the next step? Like, don't try to, like, do everything in the next month. Like, take, find one baby step, one thing that would move you in the right direction, and, and that be your goal. And maybe work on in the next year trying to become a more generous person in several steps. But we have to take the first step. And here's what I want to offer. Like we know that in a room like this, there's probably a lot of people maybe who need help in understanding budgeting or getting out of debt or some of these things. We'll talk more about those things next week. But I want to offer our help. Like there are plenty of people in this church who understand um, the smart and wise ways to actually handle money to be able to help you you give. A lot of us have never just learned about this or been taught about budgeting and how that works. And I don't want this to be a, a weird thing that we're ashamed about, right? Like Jesus talks enough about it. I think most of us, I think, probably have areas of growth in, in the area of finances. I know Nicole and I do. Um, and so let's not be shy and, 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 and be afraid to say, yeah, hey, I need help. Like, I, I want to give more, but I can't because of this. Let's talk about it and let's help each other be able to do that because I think it's important enough. So here's a couple of ways you can do that. I want to give you practical. So one, find me afterwards and say, I need help. I will make sure you get help this week. Go to the connect desk afterwards and say, I need help. And they will help you find somebody this week to get you help. You can also email the email finance at provroad.org. Finance at provroad. So the same, the same email as all of our, just finance before the at, right? So like, let us know if you need help. Okay, because I know that that is a reality for a lot of us. A couple more things. College students, okay? Hopefully you didn't tune me out and you're thinking, I just don't have anything to give. Okay, and sometimes I think we do a disservice to letting you guys off the hook a little bit, thinking, well, they're in, a, they're in a study season, they're in a school season, they don't have a lot to give. But let's go back to the widow, right? She, she gave out of her poverty. So I, I know you probably guys, ha, guys have some, some, some eating money, right? Maybe some entertainment money, maybe some coffee money. Like, I would consider what does sacrificial giving look like to you? And don't think of the amount. Again, it's not about the amount. It's not about how much you make. It's about faithfulness. So maybe in this semester, the rest of the semester, what does it look like for you to be faithful to God? That may be a dollar, maybe $5, maybe $10. It doesn't matter. But what are you going to do to create that habit, create that, that faithfulness habit? So when you do get out of school, you're probably going to have more that you're able to give. Um, couples, especially with kids, um, couples who don't have kids, talk, okay? In the next couple weeks, talk about this. Okay, sit down, carve out some time and talk about it. If you have kids, get a sitter. 
get a sitter. We all know this is, this is a hard topic to talk about. You have to have focus. It may get, you may have some conflict. Like, find a sitter, pay for that, and set aside time to talk about it. Okay? Once again, here, the steps are, if you've been thinking about giving for a while and you just haven't, start giving. Start giving. Now's the time to start giving, okay? Um, if, you, if you don't really know where you're at, there's other things you have to do. Sit down and actually have the conversation. Again, that's the hardest first step. Ha- sit down and have a conversation. Where are you at? Where are we going? What's the next baby step? Um, and, and then if you need help in any way, find me or find one of the other pastors. We want to help you. We want to do this as a community and walk alongside of you. To close, I'm going to give you four like quick little, like a grid to think through here, because I think this is really important. They're going to be up on the screen. Um, if you want to jot these down or take a picture of the screen, you can. Um, and you see all of these take place in the, Paul's example, the Macedonian church. Just characteristics of giving. Give prayerfully. There should always be a conversation between you and God, right? Listening, praying, asking him for wisdom, asking him for, to have help in seeing your budget um, and, and in the appropriate way. Give prayerfully, give systematically. This means like make it a habit Put in some like habits and routines to give in. Don't, don't just kind of give on a whim here and there, but like divide it up. Think, it, think about it as monthly or weekly, however's best for you. A gift systematic. I want to drop, throw that um, the slide back up there on how to give. Um, these ways help you. Um, the, the, the slide, you have the slide for the, the giving? Okay. Um, anyway, so um, this, you remember the slide from the announcements um, of, of giving, the four ways, there you go. Uh, the four ways to give. Um, that this is to help you guys do that. How do we give systematically? These are ways you can do that. Um, then the third step, um, the third way to give that we see, I think, in the, uh, the Macedonian Church, give thankfully. Give thankfully, right? So actually, when you're giving, be thankful for all God's done, especially in the gospel, right? Because this, once again, is a response to what Jesus has already done. And the last one, give expectantly. Give expectantly. This is not um, God's going to give you a hundredfold, right? Like this isn't like seed money, that you're expecting an envelope in the, in the month for double, that, that's not the way this works. But you can expect, like the Macedonia church did, to, be, to, to, to receive joy and to know that you're partnering in God's work. Because we know that God is glorified, one of the main ways he's glorified by us being generous so he can do more work in other places and amongst people who need the work done for them. So I want to go back to Robert Smith, the, uh, the um, philanthropist we talked about at the beginning, right? The billionaire. It was great that he gave to such a worthy cause. But our cause is more worthy. Right? Our cause is more worthy. We're talking about souls. We're talking about people, people's lives being changed, their destinies being changed um, forever, for all eternity, because of the grace of Jesus. So I think what we give to is even more important than what he gave to. And hopefully, as we're changed and we become followers of Jesus and we become more healthy and giving, we can also give to things that he gave to as well. But ultimately, our cause is greater. It's for his glory and our good and seeing other people's lives changed. Let's pray. Father, once again, we're thankful um, that even in a uh, topic like, like money, that you've, you've spoken. You've spoken loud and clear, and you speak all the way through um, the scriptures about money. Um, in your wisdom, you know how much money would affect us how much it, it affects us on a day-to-day basis, how much it, it, it can get inside of us and really um, cause us to, to covet, cause us to, to look to security in it, cause us to want more.